0: m t Bank presents CEOs You Should Know, powered by iHeartMedia. Let's meet Tracy Todd. He's the CEO for the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Before we talk all about the AAMFT, I first asked Tracy to talk a little bit about himself and his origin story.
1: Well, I grew up in Wisconsin. I have... Uh, A lot of farming background, not that our family were farmers, but all the extended family were farmers. So that meant every weekend I was on a farm. And I grew up uh, in the cold. Let's just put it that way. The frozen tundra is where I was at. And I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And if you know the geography of Wisconsin, that's way far north. And that's even more cold than the Milwaukee area where I grew up. And after I got done with my bachelor's, I said, no more of the cold, no more of the cold. I'm going to go get a master's degree and went to Texas Tech University in family relations. And I spent two years there. At that point in time, I got more serious about what is it I'm involved in? What do I want to do? How do I want to see this play out? And I went to Iowa State University and got my doctorate specifically in marriage and family therapy and at that point in time, through a series of events, uh, pretty catastrophic, actually, I had a really bad accident and um, ended up in Denver, Colorado. And in Denver, Colorado, I went to work, I was there two years and opened up a private practice, had a business partner, have a business partner, if you will, and Stayed there from basically 1989-90 through 2008, let's just say, and saw clients every day. That was my job. Enjoyed it immensely. During that time, though, I did a lot of consulting and training for AAMFT, and over the years got to know the staff, got to know a lot of the members, et cetera. And then in 2007, 8, I was asked, "Hey, would you like to come and work here in DC?" And my business partner and I talked about that and said, "Well, what are we going to do here? We're going to build a bigger practice. We're going to see more clients. You kind of done all this. You got the T-shirt. Why not try something new?" So had a very successful practice, successful career doing that, and said, "Well, won't live twice here. So I'm going to give it a whirl." And came out to Washington, D.C and spent from 2008 to 2012 as a, on a staff, Director of Public and Professional Affairs. And then in 2013, I took over as the CEO of the Association.
0: So nine years of the American Association uh, for Marriage and Family Therapy, and we have so many things to talk about. I was scanning over your website, and there's so many different platforms that your membership is allowed to, and and who you work with that we're going to go through. Before we get into any specificity about the AAMFT, why don't we give a 30,000-foot view about what the mission statement is?
1: Well, the mission statement, you know, basically the mission is recognizing that relationships are fundamental to the health and well-being of individuals, couples, families, and community. AAMFT exists to advance the profession and the practice of marriage and family therapy. That's what we
0: do. So – Let's talk about specificity now and what you offer. You've got 24,000 members. uh, You worked with 80,000 licensed uh, people, and um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Tell us about maybe some of the different platforms as we get educated, along with our listeners, about what the AAMFT exactly offers.
1: Well, that's a good question. Our primary offering is really advocacy and legislative work. So you mentioned the 80,000 licensed folks. They're not all members, of course, 60,000 are not, 70,000 are not members. But if they're licensed, they got licensed because we did the advocacy work to get them licensure in their state. That's our number one objective is making sure that marriage and family therapists are recognized, they're on par, there's parity and equity across all the licensed mental health groups and that we have equal opportunity to be in jobs in the workforce as others. Because, you know, one of the things that we know is that not all professions are real comfortable working with more than one person in the room. They, it's easy to sit down and talk to somebody and, and to have the emotional regulation. Of that individual they could be very depressed i'm not taking any take, making light of any matter there but when you amplify that by adding another person to the room who's got to cope with the person who is struggling now you have conflict and you have adjustment now you add a family member like an acting out teenager suddenly you got three or four people in the room things can get a little crazy and without the real good training And how to manage the emotions that are going on, the communications that's going on, and understand what's behind it. What are the meta messages? Because most of the time, what's being said at face value is not at face value. There's something else. There's something else. There's something else. And that's where our training is different. And so being able to work with those individuals, couples, and families, even when when there's somebody in the background making uh, input, if you will giving feedback and input that makes it very challenging and that's what our field and our profession is all about
0: tracy i think it can be safe to say that before the pandemic that we needed to talk out our issues whether it was a marriage or whether it was a family or a young person with mental wellness issues but i really would like to dive into the pandemic and uh you know, I've, I have a 20-year-old, so I've seen this with her peers and my daughter and herself and what she's been through. She was, uh, she didn't get a high school graduation. Her first year was spent on campus, but it was massed up with no social things to do. It was a very difficult two years. And yes. the, family, the family dynamic, you know, I think everybody had their roles where you saw each other at the dinner table, especially if you had an older kid, um, that that changed dramatically over these last couple of years. And I imagine as you talk to your membership and with personal things and evaluation, and I know we're going to probably in the next decade see all the data that's come out of the pandemic and how it's affected marriages and family dynamics. I imagine that it's just been a whirlwind to watch, listen, and learn over the last couple of years about what the pandemic has done to all of us
1: it's alarming to be honest it's alarming we think about the pandemic in terms of our physical health if you will and the destruction that that wrought on population but the emotional and psychological and family dynamic dynamics really did did take it on the chin i mean there are we all no matter what your culture is There are certain normative life patterns to a family. In America, the more stereotypical type is that, you know, you have kids. They start to become individuals as teenagers. You start to launch them, start to go on their own. Well, all of a sudden, you have two years where they're not able to go and do. They're not able to go do. And you have a family having to spend its entire time with each other. That's a smothering effect that is not natural. That is not natural. Even with families that are very close together, there are escape valves, if you will. There are abilities to do that. The pandemic took that all away and forced families, better or worse, and I'm interested to see what the data will be in years because I don't think it was for the better. I think it really did take a toll on the anxiety, the isolation, the depression. You, You mentioned it. Just the normative life events that our kids would go through, whether it's going out and playing sports, whether it's a graduation ceremony, whether it's an orientation to a university. Suddenly, you're not doing any of that, and you're living in your little bubble, having to have conversations with the people in your little bubble, which is not a lot. And things can get a little crazy in that bubble because there's no reality check. There's no comparison. There's no ability to say, well, this is what I'm going through. What are you going through? You had to do that through formats like Zoom, which did a good job. I mean, thankfully, we had at least technology to get us there. Because you imagine not having this 50, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, how hard this would have been. So we act, we had technology help us. But that's, that's still not the same as running around in the, the, at the mall with your friends. It's still not the same as going to a party. It's still not the same, and I'm not talking about abnormal misbehavior, but I'm talking about kids getting into mischief. That's normal and healthy. All of that was really taken away and almost put on families to find ways to do it that maybe wasn't even acceptable because you're you're not supposed to leave home. Those kind of things really took a toll on the family.
0: You know, Tracy, there's so many different areas that we could delve into this area without getting too specific. But you mentioned the family dynamic, and we haven't yet talked about the marriage dynamic. And that goes along with working at home or maybe a spouse losing a job and working with your kids and their mental wellness and on and trying not to get sick and die. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And also the human condition of having contact with people and social skills and all those things, too. I imagine the mar—I don't want to assume anything, but I imagine a lot of marriages were also affected during the pandemic, and not necessarily in a positive way.
1: I I would have to agree with that, and again, I'll be really interested to see in the long-term research what what has evolved from it. But we all know—I mean, I went to school in got marriage and family therapy. We all knew that there had to be some separation of work and home. That's one of the most fundamental things. Don't bring work home, and if you do, you're going to bring home. Talk about it, get some support, and then try to leave it behind you. Through two years, there was no leaving work at home. I mean, it was one of those things of, oh, well, I can go to work right now. I can go to work right now. Not the most healthy thing because the line got very blurred. Where does relationships start and stop? When does work start and stop? Now, add some confounding factors such as losing your job, and now you have a spouse that's working and you're not, and the spouse is working from home. Wow, that's, you know, that really had some complications, whether the spouse who is working is looking at one who's not working and saying, we got to get you working the other way around. I mean, those are the kind of things that really started to get convoluted. And that's just one simple example on how it could impact couples, not to mention the health concerns, another family member health concerns. All of that compounded, and I look at it as, you know, the ripple effect. It is the perfect throw the rock into the lake and see the ripples. This went way beyond anything that we are, that's even in our consciousness at this time. We will start to see things come out that we'll say, I never even thought of that. It had such an in-depth kind of
0: impact. I imagine that you and your peers and your membership talk about the last couple years of of being so historical because not only are we just trying to function normally, but then you throw in the pandemic and maybe having an older loved one dying and not being able to say goodbye to them, the losing of the jobs, the mental wellness of your young people. You know, Once again, I could go on and on. We weren't built for this, and I imagine as you talk to your peers that – while the empirical data will take time over the next decade to really sink in to see how it affected us all, that your membership might also feel overwhelmed by what's happened the last couple of years and the people that they're working with, all the families and the young people.
1: Well, they get the double whammy like almost everybody in healthcare gets. I mean, whether it's, you know, physicians to nurses to marriage and family therapists, we all get it. We have to deal with our clients who are going through it and Help them, then turn around and go home and have to deal with it ourselves. There is no separation. Whatever we're seeing in the office is going on in our home. And that dynamic doesn't give respite, doesn't give you the chance as a healthcare provider to say, I'm going to take a break, I'm going to go. And spend my weekend away and recharge myself and get myself ready to go by Monday to see the next client, the next patient. There's no doing that. For two years, it's around the clock because if I'm not helping clients, I've got to help my own family and deal with the very struggles you just outlined that we are experiencing.
0: Tracy, we have a a lot of listeners that uh, pay attention to the CEOs you should know. This one is is some. It's I think close to home for all of us, whether you're married in a relationship, families. And I imagine for a lot of people, including myself when I was younger, there's a stigma to getting any kind of therapy. So anybody who has been through hell and back the last couple of years, whether it's a marriage, it's a relationship, their children, the family dynamic, what would you recommend when it comes to talking about issues so they can get to the next level to start the healing process of what they've been through?
1: Now that's a very good question i think at the very fundamental level what is important for everybody to grasp is that relationships matter no matter where you're at whether you're at school whether you're at work whether you're in a recreational league relationships matter we are in the habit of relating to one another and when those relationships aren't good when there's something wrong with those relationships we know it. How many times do we hear about people who come home from work and complain about a coworker? worker We have our kids complain about another student or a teacher or whatever. Relationships matter. And regardless of you, if you're an individual sitting by yourself and you're thinking, okay, this is just me. It's not about the family. It's not about a marriage. It's just me. No, it's not. It's about you in a context with other relationships of people who care about you love you that you care about and you love and how can you emotionally be at your very best to be supportive to them and be supported by them again even if it's an individual thinking i'm not married and i don't have a family it you're still in a family of some sort you're still in a system of human beings and relationships matter so for me to say to people it's always i always want to say to folks Relationships matter. And yes, there has been the stigma, but take a look at all of the people that are coming out saying, listen, I needed mental health. I've got it. We've got pro athletes who are sitting out games, matches, seasons, because they want to make sure their mental health is good because they've, this is a long haul. This is a long way to go. Whatever you're in, whatever system you're in, it's a long, long race and you need to be at your best so you can succeed whether it's at work or home and you can help others to be able to succeed so it's sort of like put the stigma aside because to me there is no stigma it is truly courageous and a badge of honor to say yes i need help and i'm going to go get it
0: well said and agreed by the way I know that research and data are a very big deal when it comes to what you and your membership does. And you have a journal, and you did a 10-year plan on something that I know that you're proud of and also is fascinating. Maybe tell our listeners about that as well.
1: Yes, we have the journal, uh, JMFT, the Journal uh, of Mar- Marital and Family Therapy. And the JMFT, every 10 years, does a decade in review. And that decade in review takes a look at certain topics Clinical topics, and this past year it was about 12, 13 clinical topics. And through some very sophisticated means, and this is way above my my intellectual level, these are researchers who really are are sophisticated. They're able to say, okay, we're going to, for example, look at 2,000 articles on a certain topic and distill those articles down to maybe 150 that are quality research projects. Then, what do those 150 articles? Tell us about this subject matter, whether it's substance abuse, partner violence, anxiety, depression, childhood disorders, whatever it might be. What do they tell us? And so it takes 10 years of data and synthesizes that down and says, here's what we know today. And that is an undertaking that is huge by authors and the editor. Way beyond any level of comprehension. Uh, But that work was done this year and that special issue came out in January and it is it's outstanding to be able to for our members to look at that and say okay I got trained in working with anxiety depression or I got trained in violence is my training and knowledge still relevant after so many years because things change technology changes, the people change so now you can look at the data and go wow I gotta get I gotta get upgraded myself
0: I think that would be an extraordinary read, and it's really cool that that is being done. Tracy, uh, before we let you go and put a bow on everything, is there anything that we haven't talked about when it comes to the AAMFT that you want to make sure our listeners know about?
1: I think the important thing is that uh, marriage and family therapy is a profession. It's on par with all the other professions in terms of our scope of practice, our ability to provide healthcare services. And that we have accredited programs throughout the United States, anywhere between 120 and 130 master's to doctoral level programs, specifically in the area of marriage and family therapy. So oftentimes people will say to me, so you're a psychologist or you're a social worker. No, my PhD is in marriage and family therapy. It is a specific discipline with its own way of working, own skills, knowledge, and experiences.
0: Tracy, if anybody wants more information, they want to become a member, they want to partner with you, they want to look at a possible career when it comes to the AAMFT, how do they go about doing that?
1: That's easy. They can go right to our website, www.aamft.org.
0: Tracy, this has been educational and inspiring because we've got a lot of work to do and we've been through a lot, but I think the message is clear that if you talk to somebody from your membership Uh, anywhere uh, around uh, about whatever problems you've had, issues or things that have been bothering you, it's going to be a positive outcome that you talk about that. And I can't begin to tell you how much we appreciate your valuable time. Continue success. give our best to your staff, and uh, also your membership, and thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I appreciate it. Our community partner, M&T Bank, supports CEOs You Should Know as part of their ongoing commitment to building strong communities. And that starts by backing the businesses within them. As a bank for communities, M&T believes in dedicating time, talent, and resources to help local businesses thrive. Because when businesses succeed, our communities succeed.